Hello, everybody, and welcome to the dump. My name is Truck Truck, and today we've got a special guest, of course, Sideshow. What's up, dude? Doing very well, thank you. Not much, not much. How are you doing, Kurt? Doing great, doing great. So, Sideshow, a lot of people know you from TF2, at least from like our, our backgrounds, both are TF2, but you are now Season 2 talent, Overwatch League, veteran, Season 1 as well. <laughs> it's true, it's true. <laughs> Such a veteran of the scene. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's been pretty cool because one of the main things that I, one of the first things I thought about when I was um, inviting you was Tip of the Hats 2016. We were in the heart of Chicago. I believe it was after the event. We were both walking somewhere in the middle of Chicago. <laughs> and we were just talking, we were both talking about our futures and stuff because this was like right as Overwatch came out yeah. around that time. Yeah, yeah. And you were like, I'm just going to put in a bunch of work with, uh, I think you wanted to be a writer at the time, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Overdodge Now you're here doing site. Overwatch League. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of been nutty. <laughs> it, in 2016, it was difficult to just kind of port the, the casting stuff I'd been doing from TF2 straight to Overwatch. So yeah, I mean, Enigma ported um, Team Fortress TV basically copied it, upgraded it, and moved it over to Overwatch. It became Overdodge GG, and they were looking for people to do writing. So I decided, I mean, if you're going to get your name out there somehow, it's best to have it in a format where your name is attached to it. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, I'll do some news articles, and then my name is literally attached to it, and then maybe people will realize. I believe you wrote, like, I it was either you or Bloodsire, or maybe both of you just wrote a ton of articles in a really short period of time. And I, I believe it was, it might've actually been both of you just writing yeah. tons of art articles. So how did you go from writing articles to getting your name out there to becoming broadcast talent for the Overwatch League? Like, what was that process like? It, well, the and the whole way of like people ask me all the time how to get into um, how to get into casting or how to get into esports, and the the biggest thing you have to do is be somebody that other people can recognize when they're looking to hire you. So mm -hmm. it doesn't like esports doesn't work through a normal application process. You don't go for an interview. <laughs> you don't send up your resume really. So the people hiring need to know who you are if they're going to try and hire you. So the number one thing is to try and get your name out there in some way. And people always struggle with that because they just, I think they kind of assume that everybody who is currently known was always known. And mm -hmm. and we just, I don't know, spawned out <laughs> of the ether or something. <laughs> but it's all just about um, consistently creating content. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I did a bunch of writing. Uh, without getting paid for a bunch of different sites, not over.gg, they were always good. They always paid the the journalists. Um, but for some of the sites like Gosu Gamers, for example, who else did I write for? I can't even remember. There were some other sites around the scene at the beginning, like Overwatch Lee or something was a, a website. And so I was writing a mixture of opinion pieces and um, uh, like feature pieces about coaching or about. Uh, different teams in overwatch and then sometimes just writing news sometimes breaking news and then i'd also do some youtube video content on the t on top of that and then we we also uh some of the other casters knew that we were trying to get into it because we'd messaged them and said oh we are former tf2 casters and people from tf2 were kind of on their radar because a lot of players from tf2 had gone over as well and it was considered a fairly conceptually similar game which I don't think it is at all, but I mean, aesthetically, it's somewhat similar. Yeah, um, I suppose it has different heroes. Yeah, but, like. but obviously, we all know it's it's much different now. But I do remember when it first came out. It's like holy shit, this is TF three. Yeah. I can't wait to play it. And then you play it, it's like okay, it's this is way different. Yeah, it so, was so different. In fact, that I I was turned off at the beginning. I, I didn't I didn't have a, a beta key to be able to to play it at the beginning so when was the first time that i was able to play maybe when it was first no i think there was like an open beta in like november 2015 or something like that but basically i hadn't been playing it i'd just been watching some other streamers play it and stuff like that watching seagull and then when i got into the game i was like wow this game's it's kind of chaos <laughs> like what the hell's going on here? And I didn't have a mobile background, so abilities were super confusing. And it just seemed like you weren't really able to do much as each individual hero compared to TF2, where I was, you know, what I enjoyed about TF2 was being able to do really dumb stuff and then clutch my way out of it. Yeah. That's like, that's my number one 
I, that's the thing that attracts me to games. That's why I. That's how I love playing CS as well. I rush B, <laughs> and just try and headshot everyone, and if it doesn't work, I cry. That is definitely your style. Like for those that don't know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming some people that might be listening to this are, uh, um, probably a lot of people because you you pretty much grew like the big portion of your audience through Overwatch. But in TF2, Sideshow was actually a top level player. Like it's unbelievable, top isn't it? Level player, like. Your 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 brain might be wrinkling right now with all this knowledge, but he was incredible. And I know people in the TF2 community were kind of like dumping on you, but it's just because like playful, you know. You, yeah, you, I was you, bad you... as well, though. Kurt. I was <laughs> I was quite bad. I got carried super hard. But like, you have to get to a, a point to be in a position to play with people that are at that level, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I mean. I... I think one of the funniest things is the idea of being the worst best player that there ever was in TF2. <laughs> I think that's a, a fantastic thing to build a brand around. I mean, I used to play TF2 Pugs and they would, I had the highest, e do you remember back when PugChamp had like an ELO yeah. system attached yeah. to it? And everyone, the, when it first was released, was grinding really hard to be able to try and get the number one spot. And so I took it seriously for a while instead of messing around in Pugs. And I got the number one spot in Europe above like Mike and Stark. And That's Kata so Spider good. Guys. And then even then, when I was like, actually number one in terms of ranked elo nobody would play with me they don't oh refuse to play God. because they just assumed i was going to throw their games and i was oh. like no i'm taking it seriously this Dude, time those are the best streams like sideshow <laughs> before the elo sideshow and a pug it's just like all right what are we gonna get and it's most of the time it's just like sideshow's playing pyro now <laughs> all right <laughs> well here we go <laughs> those are some good streams yeah it was a lot of fun streams and speaking of streams, I guess we could kind of segue this into a few months ago. You Your stream has grown quite a bit. It has, yeah. And there's been some interesting circumstances surrounding that. Uh, mainly, I wrote down here, you developed, you pioneered the Overwatch League restream meta on Twitch. <laughs> I know, it's unreal. It, like, it took off, it's like a concept now that other people are adopting to grow their streams. Yeah, I've, seen, like, I've seen a Vast and uh, Seagull do it as well, and both of them are doing great with the yeah. with doing it, with uh, restreaming the Overwatch League, and it's cool, like, it, it's it's cool that, uh, for those that don't under, that don't know, Sideshow had to restream the Overwatch League because your passport got denied, right? Well, yeah, we were, I was, uh, we were applying for a visa because esports is much more legit yeah. than it used to be, and everybody <laughs> should be on a visa and is on a visa that works for the Overwatch League, at least. Um, but because esports isn't that big, there can sometimes be roadblocks that you wouldn't maybe run into if you were like a sports commentator or something. Mm -hmm. So I was stuck in the UK when I should have been in... Uh, I think I was scheduled to come back to the US to work on Overwatch League at about January 18th kind of time. Like, I had a bit of time over Christmas, and then I was going to come back. And it ended up being... Ooh, hell, what was it? I think it was like the end of March by the time I got back. I think it was like two two plus months um, of being stuck in the UK when I when I didn't want to be. Uh, and so I was like, the, the reason that I came up with this idea was I, I have to watch the games. Um, and whenever I watch VODs of games back, you lose some of the interest. And I find it much more difficult to concentrate unless I'm like, if I'm watching one VOD back, I can go very intensely into it. I'll pause and try and figure out exactly what's happening and, you know, treat it very much as a learning experience. If you're going to do that for, what is it? Four games a day, four <laughs> times a week, that's not going to be very fun. So I decided, okay, I have to watch them live, but that also means that I have to be on LA time, which is going to be an enormous pain. I'm going to be up at like, what was it? I, I would wake up at about 7 p.m. and then go to bed at about 9 p.m. Uh, 9 a.m. the next day oh my God. just to be on L.A. time. So I thought, OK, if I'm doing this on my own, I'm actually going to go mental. I have no idea when I'm going to go back to the U.S. I'm going to go crazy. So I thought about streaming it. And then it reminded me of a B stream that CSGO casters used to do. I remember a, a, a CSGO B stream with uh, Thorin and Semler and uh, Get Right. That was somewhat recent, right? Else. Well, maybe they've done it again recently, yeah. but I know that um, back in the day they did it for some other event, and they just w they went to a studio in in um, in Sweden, and I think the event was even going on in North America. But they put the stream up where the camera couldn't see it, 
you could see the people watching the cinema. So it's like you had the view of the screen. And mm -hmm. so the, the guys are all sat there watching and just shooting the shit between them. And then whenever something big happened, they would give their commentary on it. And because it was a much more relaxed pace, I found it incredibly enjoyable as a casual CS fan to just have the normal stream on my other monitor muted and then have this B stream open that was, you know, four experts without the without the requirement of building narrative and the showmanship and all of that stuff that can sometimes mean you can't dive into a topic as much as you'd like to. Mm -hmm. they, they could just talk about whatever, like they could ignore three rounds that happened and just discuss yeah. one particular play. And I thought that was really cool. And a good way of bringing that into Overwatch would be to set up like a side stream that I wouldn't be bantering with other people necessarily, but I'd just be kind of bantering with the stream. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, it's such a good idea, like, because you have to do something when you're away for so long, and yeah. you made it work, and it's pretty cool, because not only that it worked, it was, like, wildly successful, your mm. your stream gets, like, a thousand viewers now, which is Yeah, well, I mean, at the, at the time, when I was, uh, so, I was only doing it for, I was doing it for the, about two months, but at the beginning, my stream would average about 200 viewers because that was what I would normally get was uh, mm -hmm. about 200. Every time I launched my stream, I'd get roughly 200 viewers. And then as people started tuning in more and realizing what I was doing, it started growing upwards and upwards. And then by the end of it, by the time that I had to fly away and leave, it was averaging about four or 5,000 viewers. And the mainstream had about 100 to 150 which is, you know, a, a very decent percentage of the overall viewer base, assuming that they're literally copied over because you mm -hmm. have to watch the stream at the same time. I mean, I think it it probably, if I'd carried on, would have settled somewhere around 5% of the active That's viewer wild. base would have been watching, which is kind of nuts. I mean, 5% doesn't maybe sound like too much, but 5% but of a, the entire casual viewer base of what, any given day is actually pretty crazy. So I think it's a wildly successful concept. And you you just have to have the uh, the entertainment to be able to pull it off as well yeah so like going from that the success with your stream and like restreaming the overwatch league and then bam your visa checks out you're in la how stark of a difference is it from just like fucking around in your room in the middle of the night yeah, pretty, to pretty being professional on <laughs> like a actual broadcast yeah it's kind of nuts it's the biggest thing is the time honestly the time investment is so much bigger because i every day you're coming in three hours before rehearsal you're not just rocking up on your stream looking like a disheveled mess <laughs> and then we're staying we're staying afterwards a little bit as well and then also there's meetings about production and i i think a lot of people don't really understand this but when we're working we aren't just watching the games. Like we can't just mm -hmm. be watching the games the whole time. We're we're producing the segments that we're then going to to do afterwards. Um, so a lot of our time is it, even while we're watching the game is taken up discussing what assets we want, how we want to build the show, what we should be doing for for the next show, thinking about storylines and stuff. So actually, it's a it's a more pure process when I was just at home in my uh, bedroom shooting the shit looking at everything that was happening and and uh trying to figure out what was going on it's in some sense more pure analysis mm -hmm. whereas you there's so many more broadcast elements that are required when it's an actual you know show that goes out on tv fairly regularly that uh yeah yeah it's it's a it's a different beast entirely and it's been unfortunate that i haven't had that much time to be able to stream as well because we work wednesday through yeah. sunday yeah, I think Brent said only Monday and Tuesday is the time you guys have to stream. Yeah, so I've been trying to crank out 12-hour streams on Monday and Tuesday, but the problem <laughs> with that crazy. But the problem with that is that I a lot of the people that I am friends with want to do things on Monday and Tuesday um because that's the only days off that uh, we have to be able to to do stuff like that. So I I've roughly speaking been mostly doing five to 12 hour streams on monday and tuesday but i think uh this week i wasn't able to on uh on on monday so so with all one the time one stream a week yeah so <laughs> you guys you still have to finish sekiro right run yes. waiting for you yeah. <laughs> man there's so many things that's that's the number one thing that i'm bothered about at the moment is that you cannot imagine the amount of ideas i have for content in my head and i just can't i, I can't push them into the world because i don't physically have enough time to do it
that's one of the cool things that I've noticed between uh, you and Bren and just the people you've surrounded yourself with uh, through the Overwatch League. Like when you are not doing the Overwatch League, you guys do a great job with collaboration. It's not like you and Bren just stream. It's you and Bren like make something together. Like the for what I just mentioned, the Sekiro, you guys are mm. racing that game. There's no one that I know of that races Sekiro. <laughs> Like a blind playthrough of a game that's also a race, and it's extremely entertaining. You guys have the squad stream. I, I, yeah. I, I've been watching like the, almost the entire thing. It's been great. Yeah. yeah, it's. I think what I've um I don't want to say what I've learned as if I'm some wise grasshopper, but, but, but actually no, don't they call the grasshopper like the the younger one? Young I don't grasshopper. Know. I, young grasshopper. Okay, what's the wise old one called? A wise old owl or something? I have no idea. Anyway, I'm not wise. That was the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> uh, what my my philosophy with doing stuff like that with content and with streaming and stuff is that there has to be some event built around it. Like there has to be something special about it. Whenever you go live, like if you just go live with with no plan, it's it's not that much of a, an attraction. So whenever I think about playing a new game or something, like my stream have been bothering me to play Worms, Worms Reloaded, because I used to play that in the past and it was like kind of entertaining. We'd play mm -hmm. with a bunch of people. Some of them were terrible and it was, you know, hilarity ensued. But um, just to kind of take a load of people that are used to watching me do Overwatch VODs or watching me play Sekiro or something like that, and then just pop Worms up is like a bit of a jarring transition. Mm -hmm. So instead, I'm going to run a, a Worms viewer tournament so that the, the viewers can challenge me to a Worms tournament. We'll have that go on over the course of a day. And like the, um, I don't know when, whether you saw this, but Bren tweeted at me saying uh, something. He faked a tweet saying that if this tweet got so many retweets, we'd do a, a chica dance in a schoolgirl outfits. <laughs> so we bought some schoolgirl outfits and did a photo shoot. I think I saw that. I, yeah. I, I thought I had that erased from my memory. Yeah. But now I've dragged it back from the depths again. And then, yeah, and then we need to do this dance. And like, again, like this dance is going to be its own little little event thing. So that's that's kind of what I've been trying to move my stream to, is instead of just random random uh stuff that i do on my stream is try and because i've got limited time thinking of more cool things to do and then executing them with people around me do you think you have it do you think it's easier to do stuff like that when you have people around you because personally oh, yeah. for my stream i find it incredibly difficult to like even just collab just online because it's mm. just so hard to contact people um and I, I i think i mean you are agreeing um that it's easier but do you think the Overwatch League has helped you prepare stuff like that? Because you said you don't like just throwing on the stream. You like having an event. Do you yeah. think the work ethic of the Overwatch League has helped you develop that mindset towards your own stream? Yeah, for sure. It's not It's not even like the, the work ethic so much. I think it's just the understanding of what goes into a show. It's like a lot of me, I'll speak from my opinion. When I uh, when I was doing TF2 and stuff, uh, I wasn't really thinking about a sh the show aspect. I was just trying to emulate what other <laughs> things looked like. And then when I was doing contenders and stuff, um, when was that? 2017. Uh, we were working uh, with uh, Christopher Puckett, who has been a producer for MLG for many years, and then runs the uh, is like the host of the desk. And he has a very producer's mindset of like how things should look and how the flow should be and like making things into a, a, an event that attracts people and minimizing downtime and trying to uh, have something, have a, f a coherent flow throughout the show. Mm -hmm. And just from working on the Overwatch League for two years, I think you, I think you just get more of a feel of like what will, um, what will appeal to people in terms of grabbing their attention and keeping them entertained over the course of it. That's not just, um, it's not just, talking randomly or playing the game yeah. or something like that but it it makes an enormous difference having people around at the same time but and just even if they even if it's not having them around um to actually do the event itself even if i was just doing stuff on my own it makes a big difference just talking with other people like we'll just go out for lunch and we'll just be talking about like just shooting the shit and some random idea will pop up from what we're discussing where we're like oh my god we should do that we should be streaming that and then and then like from there we'll just have a, a little idea that branches out into something else as well like we're doing a a bread review series 
<laughs> which I I was talking on my stream about how much I hate American bread and and think that it's it's so much worse. It's like it's sugary. It's got a weird texture. So much of it's chewy. The crust is also pretty poor. It's normally like quite soft. We've had baguettes and loaves and ciabattas and all sorts of stuff in the uh, over the course of being over here and and disliked a lot of it so i so then that annoyed a bunch of people from america <laughs> that were watching so i said okay okay i'll give your good bread a chance i'll go around the best bakeries in la and we'll do a video series where we we don't film inside the bakery but we start filming when we're outside the bakery with a bunch of their their breads and we're gonna try them and rate them so that's a that's a video series that's coming that's amazing that's them. such a good idea <laughs> Oh my god. And you know what? I've also noticed that like your you and Bren specifically, your online presence outside of like Twitch, outside of the Overwatch League, more specifically on social media, has been really good. Like you guys are not just tweeting a lot. You are posting content on Twitter. Like I think it was a year and a half ago, you you, Bren, and Harsha were like in a bathroom with, <laughs> dressed up as Hanzo Genji. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. That was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. So how did that come about? <laughs> well, weirdly, the first time we moved into the apartment with me, Bren, and Johnny, Reinforce, uh, we we decided because we were living together and we were living together for the first time with people from esports. We'd never done that before. Uh, well, actually, no. Reinforce had. Reinforce lived in the good studio um, with... I actually don't know who was living there at the time, but it was a, a similar concept to like a, a streaming house, like a gamer house kind of thing. And he was doing production for some of the events that they ran out of there. Like they also did tournaments, I think, and he was doing in-game directing or producing or something. But anyway, for me and Brent, it's our first times living with other people. So we tried to make the best of it that we possibly could. And one of the things we decided was we just had a... Whose idea was it? I think the first one was was Bren's idea. Uh, he found a mop as we were moving in and he decided to play the Star Wars theme music. We just have like a bunch of speakers lying around like these like UE Boom speaker things. And he, he just blasted some of the Star Wars music from that because at the time that was like a meme on his stream that he would play Star Wars music oh, for, yeah. for epic moments. Um, and, and so he played that and then just started wielding a mop around like it was some kind of Star Wars Jedi thing. And so we were like, oh my God, we should make a little like like 30 second video out of this. So then we, we ran takes of it like four or five times uh, of it panning up to Johnny who had like a hoodie on like this and he had he looked like a, like a Sith Lord. And he had, actually it was this lamp as well. He had this lamp which glows <laughs> and looks like a, like from a distance, looks like a very dumb thick lightsaber. So... We decided that it would be funny to then pan up to him as he looks like loomingly from above with this, with this yeah. thing. Uh, well, anyway, anyway, I'm getting into the weeds. But the point is, we just decided to make a load of dumb videos because we could. Because if you come up with funny ide video ideas like that, they, they can be pretty successful. And then when we did, I don't know whether you ever saw Bren bathing in our kitchen sink. He had like a shower cap on and he scrubbed himself inside our kitchen sink. And then Jonathan was doing the dishes in the shower. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I don't know. That one was great as well. But when we posted them on Twitter, we, none of us really had that big a following at the time. We just joined the Overwatch League and most of our social media growth has been from that. And they banged. They had like 60K views and an unbelievable amount of retweets. And we were like, okay, this is a popular format for being able to construct videos. And then... So when we, we were going to bring back a podcast called Through the Grapevine with Harsha, so me, Bren, and Harsha. And so we decided to make one of those videos for it. So we went and bought $80 worth of grapes and Hanzo and Genji outfits. <laughs> and I was wearing Hanzo, Bren was wearing Genji, and then Harsha was in the bathtub covered in grapes, which I don't know. These ideas, they just spawn. I, I think I, it was either you or Bren, but I overheard you guys talking about this. You didn't have enough grapes, so you put like salt oh in the God. water to make the... Uh, okay. So we bought and $80 worth of grapes and we thought that might be enough to cover like one layer. And like as long as the grapes float on top of the water, you only need one layer and it looks like the bathtub's full of grapes. But grapes, I don't know whether, I don't know why, but grapes don't float. 
which doesn't make sense to me because they are bags of sugary water and sugary water should be less dense than normal water but apparently it's not apparently grapes are more dense than water and i i still to this day cannot wrap my head around why that makes sense but okay um so i uh yeah so so we plopped a load of we plopped our eighty dollars worth of grapes in the bath, and they all sank. And we immediately realized we done goofed <laughs> because <laughs> we need we would then need to fill the bathtub, and we'd need to buy like five hundred dollars worth of grapes. And our budget, listen, it didn't stretch that far. We, we were only we we're only so committed to this, uh, and so we decided, okay, well, Bren's idea was, why don't we pour oil in? And maybe the grapes will float. And I said, Bren, you are a moron. That would never work. Oil floats on top of water. That would just not even slightly work. Oh, my God. But it did make me think, oh, well, why don't we pour a bunch of salt in the bath? And then the salty water is more dense and the, the grapes will be able to float on top. So we took, all, we, took, we took a pot about this big of Johnny's... Uh, pink Himalayan salt that he really likes. <laughs> we dumped the whole thing. It, oh, oh, I didn't realize there was water in that. Oh, this is very all over my keyboard. Take your time if you need to clean your keyboard. Oh, no, it's all good. I this mean, this is vintage side. It's a wet patch. <laughs> uh, so I poured the, I poured the, we poured the salt into the bathtub, but, but. Uh, we just we were in a state of kind of hysteria where you're you're wanting to film and you've been around your friends and you've got a dumb idea in your head and, and you're not really thinking things through. The amount of salt needed to change the density of the water is unbelievable. Like you need a pit of it and have to stir it in for ages. And we just poured a tiny little salt shaker in there and we we're expecting it to do something. So we just dumped all of Johnny's expensive salt into the bath and then just stood there looking as it did nothing. <laughs> We now just had $80 worth of salty grapes. <laughs> yeah, didn't Bren eat grapes in the video, too? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, but those grapes were horrible, man. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. They, they like, via osmosis, the insides had just gone, <laughs> like, out into the, into the bath. So they were all exploded grapes. So then, actually, wow, I forgot about this as well. We thought, okay, well, if there's water and we can't do anything about it and the grapes are just sat at the bottom, what's the next best thing we can do? So we thought, oh, we'll dye the water purple so that at least it looks like grape juice or something. And so, but the only thing we had was, was food coloring. So we were pouring a, a, like a bottle of red and purple food coloring into the bath as well and just stirring it around to see oh if we could change. Oh, my God. So it's like mildly purple bath water with a bunch of grapes in and then harsh us at the bottom of it. So for, so for that type of content, you're, you're, we're talking about planning it out. So for that type of content, I'm assuming you don't really plan it out that much, but you have like an idea. Oh, this was days it, right? in the planning. This was days <laughs> in the planning. People th like the one where Bren is in the kitchen sink, right? It looks like a spur of the moment thing that you wouldn't be able to replicate because he literally is splashing around in the kitchen sink. There's water going everywhere. And then he's got the tap and he's like wailing the tap around and just water's flying all over our apartment. But we did five or six takes of that. Because the first few takes were like, okay, that's funny, but it's not like the most funny it could be. And so after every take, which is like 30 seconds, I would run back over, viciously towel the floor to try and get rid of all the excess water, top his sink back up, rearrange his shower cap, make sure the bubbles were strategically placed so you couldn't see his junk. <laughs> and, then, and then I'd shoot again. We did that like five or six times. Oh my God. So, so actually, the, each piece of those... Each one of those was fairly well planned out, which is weird because we also work with some other people that make videos like that super regularly on their Instagram. A guy called uh, he's Dynamite Kev on Instagram, and he's so funny with his friend Jimmy, and they do similar things. But theirs is all improv, basically. Like they, they'll frequently just point the camera. At, uh, they'll like he's got it's Jimmy and Kevin, and and Jimmy will frequently say to Kevin, just just start shooting, start shooting. I've got an idea, and he doesn't. They don't discuss what the idea is. <laughs> Jimmy just starts doing things and then as Kev's filming he like he adds his own commentary to it or they'll hand the camera off to somebody else and then 
he'll get involved, which is such a bizarre idea to me because I love, I love having an idea and trying to make it as funny as possible by, by repeating it. But I don't know. It's, it's just a different, it's a very different approach. Different people work different ways. Yeah, like, yeah. It's pretty crazy because I definitely have experienced that with you guys during Tip of the Hats. You have to do multiple takes to make things work. Yeah. Like, obviously, you can't do it live, but yeah. that's why, where the preparation comes into play. But going back, so you guys said you guys did these two examples with Bren and you guys in the, the bathtub and stuff. That was during your early years in the Overwatch League. Did anybody of the higher ups have anything to say about it? Uh, like you just walk into work the day after and be like, hey, you guys see our Twitter video? <laughs> it's doing pretty yeah. good. <clears throat> Do you know what? I can't remember if any of them said anything at the time. I think they knew instantly that we were deranged individuals. And uh, I think it just kind of set up the, yeah, the idea of us being a little mental. The, the most I've ever had feedback from uh, people honestly was a couple of the developers that work on overwatch got in touch with us after we posted the schoolgirl photo shoot being like i don't know why you did this but it's amazing <laughs> that's like the first time you're contacted by them yeah well no we we, we know them we chat to them occasionally yeah. but to be reached out and be like i don't know what this is but it's fantastic <laughs> oh my god it takes balls to do stuff like that, man. It takes a lot of guts. Well, I, I don't even know about that as well. Me and Brian have removed shame from our vocabulary. <laughs> I, and it's weird because I used to be so nervous. Like when I first did my first cast, I was insanely nervous. Like my teeth were chattering on my first TF2 broadcast for 400 people. And now when I'm in like uh, the arena and stuff, I don't get any nerves at all. I just actually love doing it. Um, and also like as a kid, I used to be a super... A super nervous, like shy individual, uh, very self-conscious, thought a lot about everything. Like now, I couldn't be the more more opposite. Honestly, it's just it, it, I find it so funny when people react weirdly to to me being weird. Like if someone's very uncomfortable about me being weird, I just find that the funniest stuff in the world. Um, and I don't know how that happened, but it's it's super funny. And it's Bren Did always says, having no shame is a superpower. I mean, really, to agree. it really is. Like I admire. Any you guys in any way that can do stuff like that because I, I can do stupid stuff, but there's no way you're gonna have me like half naked in a bathtub <laughs> with bubbles over my junk and filming me multiple takes. It's not happening. <laughs> Maybe one day if I hang around with you guys a little bit too long, but <laughs> not now. <laughs> next uh, day with the hats. Yeah, Here next day with the hats. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so, speaking of that stuff, have you been able to bring? a microscopic amount of that to the Overwatch League? Because obviously the Overwatch League, it's not your content. It's yeah. more of like a bigger thing. What's like the craziest stuff you guys have been able to pull off on the Overwatch League? Um, well, the craziest stuff is still, it's still kind of within the bounds of, uh, of what would be, you know, considered the, a professional product that you want to put out there. But we frequently integrate skits into the broadcast. But a lot of the ideas for the skits come from the producers. So we have a great producer for our Watchpoint pre-show, which is a 30-minute show we do before the Overwatch League goes live every day. And he comes up with great ideas of, of stuff to do. So I, we had a science experiment where we... It's all kind of tried to be tied into the team. So I was talking about a team being explosive and put a load of this, the you know, the classic experiment where you put like baking soda into the vinegar and it just shot everywhere. There's, uh, I was dressed up as a... They, they had me dress up with makeup as like a, a rock star and I was just screaming about some player. Uh, what else? Um, we had, we had, a, we had some segments uh, last year that were fantastic as well. Although we weren't generally integrated into a lot of them. Uh, there's a lot of, Oh, I mean, when we went to Dallas, uh, Zoe and Bren were both dressed up as cowboys trying to lasso a, a blow up horse to, or lasso is how you pronounce it in America. Lasso. Yeah, you guys uh, were just in Texas. You guys got cowboy yeah. hats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but a lot of the more wild content just does live on our channel because uh, the it has to be tied to Overwatch generally if it's going to be on the Overwatch League channel. Mm -hmm. And that limitation takes a lot of the the absurd humor out of the equation. You can't do it, cr like truly crazy, absurd, surreal humor 
if you also have to tie it into talking about the reality of some team's performance or something mm-hmm. like that it, it it's a limitation but it's a you know it's a fair limitation yeah i mean obviously and now that you mentioned like analyzing teams and whatnot i believe bren mentioned last cast that you guys have a little bit of limitations on the other end of the spectrum, just getting like too analytic. I know you are very analytic, believe it or not. You can get that. You, you crazy, are very knowledgeable. And, uh, but you can't get that. You can't go that far with the Overwatch League despite wanting to. Uh, do you find like being limited on either end of the spectrum is a little bit difficult at times to be creative? I don't personally find it difficult because we have conduits for that content in our own streaming channel. So, uh, like, I I just released a three-hour video on YouTube that I had streamed and then clipped out from a YouTube of going over one match. And, like, it was one really big match that happened last week that people were really confused about, like, how it came to be. And it's something that you can't really break down. I mean, I don't just have a random three hours to go through stuff on the broadcast. (laughs) But... I, I could take, so it's like an hour and a half long game and I turned it into three hours. So I guess 50% of the time I'm, I'm paused and going through stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And that's content that people do enjoy. I, I, I get some of my highest stream viewership when I do that. In fact, at the moment, now that I'm not restreaming the Overwatch League, that's the highest stream viewership that I tend to get is when I'm doing content like that. So it's fairly well received by a certain subsection of the, the audience. It's just that when we're on the broadcast, they are not the entirety of the people watching, and that would be boring content for people that don't understand what's uh, what's going on. And it would just take too long as well to be able to dive into it. Um, it, it can occasionally be a bit annoying to not be able to dive into the uh, the really cool analytical stuff on the broadcast. But generally speaking, I've come around to the idea of our jobs not truly being to... Um, to analyze the game in the sense of telling you the micro of what exactly happened there, but taking that analytical knowledge and making it a broader concept. So looking at five games of NYXL and looking really at all of the details, but saying the broader stuff that happened or the storyline of where these teams are going. It's more about crafting a narrative and being able to tell people the broad strokes of what's going on rather than being able to prove that you understand every tiny little piece and so a lot of the time when i'm on the the desk right now i'll I'll be talking more about uh, storylines rather than trying to break down exactly how one player plays and how Mm -hmm. that ties into the broader scope of things which was something i was uh, at the beginning of the league like last january i was super excited to just dive in depth about teams um which i mean it's slightly different as well because the teams didn't have that same history behind them at that time it was literally it was the first time that they'd ever been on stage in january 2018 so uh, at that point it was more interesting to kind of discover who these teams are and the styles that they played whereas now now that we have a bit of history behind them and most teams know the most people know the identity of the teams it's it's more important i think to look at the the narratives of the teams as they go along and and ask the questions why are they struggling and what what perhaps could change in the future this kind of stuff yeah and you found like an outlet like to be analytic on on youtube and speaking of youtube you have created a lot of content for your youtube despite being extremely busy over like the past two years like every time i check my subscription feed you have a new youtube video Mm. like how do you find the time to create content while working full-time on Overwatch League and streaming? Well, it's difficult, I'll tell you that. (laughs) So before this season, I was really just producing a little bit of videos every now and then. Um, And I I was sat at about 8K subscribers. Since since the beginning of this year when I was streaming, I actually got in touch with, uh, I I tweeted and said, are there any uh, video editors that are out there to be able to uh, take what I'm doing on stream and clip the pieces? And I would mark out the pieces and then they would clip them together and, and make a video out of it. So I got in touch with a, a company um, that's uh, with Jane, um, who does a lot of similar content to what I do. And he works with a bunch of people that do that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> so over the past year, or not the, over the past year, but since January, when I started streaming a lot, um, a lot of those videos have been clipped out by me, and obviously they're made by me in a sense because they come from my stream. Mm-hmm. But the actual physical putting together of them um, and then putting them up on YouTube is run by a different group of people uh, that I get in touch with over Discord, tell them, and then they publish it. But a lot of the other stuff, like 
like the the direct stream vod review stuff that doesn't require stitching clips together i just clip that out on twitch uh some of the other stuff like the um the the videos where i'm just talking to the camera uh i just allocate allocate an hour a week to try and do that um i've been trying to do more of them that's what i meant when i was saying that i have so many ideas for content but just can't Those push it out so into good, the world by the way i've been watching like <laughs> all of them the, the maryland story was fantastic. oh yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i do those on stream as well though so i think like the the number one thing for growing my youtube which has tripled in size oh since january as well i was sat on 8k subs i'm now on about 24k just from producing videos uh consistently um and the number one thing that I found is just doubling up content from stream over to YouTube, because a lot of the people who uh, I, I kind of noticed this because when I was getting a large viewership over the course of 2019, my VODs would have like 4,000 views on Twitch. And I was like, wh why are there so many people watching my VODs on Twitch? I've, I don't think I've ever watched a VOD on Twitch, like literally never. Mm -hmm. And they're going back and watching VODs of overwatch league games and of me just talking random shit so i was like okay there's clearly an audience here if i just clip out these and put them on my youtube because i'd rather have the views on my youtube where i can monetize and grow an audience that is going to keep returning to content that i post there rather than just having them tune into my twitch vods afterwards things that there were so many amazing streams that i had in 2018 and 2017 that are now just lost to the void because uh they i never archived them on youtube they don't stay archived on twitch forever so uh so yeah, I just decided to to try and as much as I could preserve the streams in clippable, watchable lengths because nobody wants to watch like a seven hour video. Although I have ever posted a seven hour video to my YouTube channel. Uh, so yeah, that, that was the, the ethos behind it and it seems to uh, be working so far. Yeah, even some of your most popular, I was looking at some of your most popular clips and I was expecting like these crazy, like zany things that you've done in your stream. Some of your most popular clips are literally you just like analyzing a very specific play in an Overwatch yeah. match. And I'm like, that's yeah. that's cool. Like you have a, a very wide audience and I think it's because you put in the work on like the clowny stuff and the more analytical stuff. Yeah, I, I, I had that actually, when I came into the league, we had a new user this year. And he, uh, he sat down with each of us at the beginning and was going through kind of uh, what he thought. Oh, he was asking us what our vision was for improving throughout the year. And he said, he said to me something along the lines of, you're kind of a weird specimen because you're a goofball, but then you want people to take your anal analysis seriously as well. Uh, how, what is your plan for being able to pair those two things together so that people don't just dismiss what you have to say as the, as the wild person and actually listen? And I was like... Honestly, I don't really have a plan. I'm just going to do both of them, and then people will learn that that is the case. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know why, but it does seem like those are two wildly different personalities. But I think you can tell when the content is in one way and when it's in another. So I think it. I don't think it's confusing for people. I don't think it's confusing at all, and I think it has a lot to do with just developing the skill. Like you, you aren't just born funny. You aren't just born like. I was actually. <laughs> All right, but you know <laughs> no, what I mean. You have to develop no, no, a skill set. There's I a skill agree, set I either agree. in either category and everything in between. And I, I mean, obviously, with all the content you've been posting, it's gotten better and better. And uh, yeah, this is the this is another. It ties into another thing that people ask. You know, they, oh, your your mic's cutting out a little bit. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. People ask me uh, a lot about um, getting into content creation and and they. They say, okay, I've been putting out content all the time because my number one thing is, you know, you should continue to put out content. Um, and a lot of people continue to put out content, but they don't think about the content they're putting out, at least when they're trying to aspire to go into casting or go into analysis or go into, you know, go somewhere with it um, or, or writing or something like that. And it's, I think it's really impor important to reflect on the pieces of content that you create and keep trying to make them better because it, you can just pump out shit into the void endlessly, but that's not going to get you anywhere. So the part of creating the regular content is yes, to get your name out there, but also to try a bunch of different stuff and continue to iterate onto it. And the more times you do it, the better you should get as long as you're reflecting on it and thinking about what went well and what, what didn't. And so yeah. yeah it's unfortunate because I get in, I get contacted by people that I know have made a bunch of content within the scene. And they ask me like, what, what's, what's, uh, 
what's stopping me from being recognized? And the uncomfortable truth for some people is like, you, you haven't got better. You're still doing the same stuff that you were doing before. You have to keep trying to get better at uh, things. Uh, so that's, I think that's a, a really important thing as well to try and think, which uh, sometimes you just kind of get overwhelmed with the amount of content you're doing. You don't try and really improve it. But that's something I'm trying to more consciously think about is like, actually, when you do a piece of content, is it better than the last time you made the piece of content? Is there things that you can do to try and keep improving that? So how difficult is it to like keep moving forward when you are trying new things and they are failing? Because I'm assuming when you try a lot of new stuff, a good amount of it is going to fail pretty hard. Yeah, I, I think it depends what your what your boundary for for failure is as well. Um, for instance, a, a, a lot of the content that I've created, I've been happy with, but it hasn't really gone anywhere in terms of viewership. Like, for example, I have a debate show with a guy called Yiska called Refute This. And I think that's some of the best content that I've ever created. But it only gets like between 1K and 5K views on YouTube, which isn't large at all. Um, maybe it would get more now that my YouTube channel has grown. I'm not really sure. Um, but there were things that we wanted to do with that format to make it better. And I still felt like the concept itself was good. So even though maybe in terms of like a viewer metric, it didn't actually do well, I still felt like it wasn't particularly a failure because I liked the idea that I had created. What was something that really shit the bed? I mean, actually, the, the Sekiro race as well, when I look at my stream viewership, always continues to decline the more I play because it's the kind of game where you are just repetitively doing something over and over and over again. Um, but I enjoy the game so much that I'm kind of, I'm willing to tank the, the viewership because I think it's a cool thing to do as well. I think it's also a game that, like, it saturated twitch so heavily oh, when yeah, it first true. came out for like three weeks that every streamer was playing it yeah, so yeah. people might be sick of it but i mean I, I i love watching it um but mm. yeah there's a lot of reasons for for success and failure but i think what i've learned from talking to you so far is just that it's very good to be conscious of what you're doing like at all times yeah, yeah. analyzing what you're doing because i really like that response because even if stuff doesn't do well in numbers, as long as you have a good thought process behind it and you understand what you are doing, that's all that really matters, uh, yeah. regardless of uh, the success. Because eventually something will stick and people will connect to it and do yeah. really well. Yeah. And then if you're able to build a platform based off one of your good ideas, you can still reintroduce your previous good idea to a new audience that might be more receptive of it at that time as well. Like I like I was saying, if I if I had the time to uh, be able to bring back this debate show, which we kind of scrapped because when I moved to LA, I'm on a totally different time zone to Yiska, who lives in Germany. It was very difficult to be able to set that up. But if I did bring it back, I, I think it would be far more successful successful than it was in the past as well, just because I have a better idea of how to host things and move the show along. I've got, got a better, better idea of pacing now that I've worked on the Overwatch League as well. And uh, there's a new audience that's there that wasn't previously there that might appreciate the content. So. Yeah, I, 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 same with the those uh, shorter videos as well. Like, I think a lot of the the ideas. Yeah, you guys that... should throw those. Do you throw those on YouTube at all? The just the yeah, wild yeah, Twitter uh, videos. Yeah, and they didn't do very well on YouTube at all. I think they've got about two k on YouTube. Really? They, yeah, okay. and they had like sixty k on Twitter. And I think it's just something about the the short nature of it works so much better on social media, and people want to share it to other people directly through social media, whereas you don't really have a method of sharing on YouTube. You just have to kind of stumble across it. So that kind of content seemed to do a lot better on, on social, honestly, which, yeah, it's, it's interesting um, because you don't really, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I come across a weird, funny video like that, I might check out the person's Twitter, but unless they're producing that content regularly, uh, if I clicked on my Twitter after watching that video and just saw a load of Overwatch like tweets, I'd be like, the fuck is this and i click away <laughs> like i wouldn't follow me so the the actual benefit to me of putting them out on social is not that high i think because people wouldn't associate that content with the content that i normally produce so like the audiences are so different um whereas on youtube you 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 have like all of the categories they're all sorted into playlists it's easy to find it's easy to find content that you like like wildly one of my most popular videos on youtube that i think may become my most popular video ever is me telling the story of how i got kicked out from med school and it's oh really it's got I, like i only posted it like a week ago it's got like 70k views it's got like easily way more than every, every other video that i've made uh, about the story stuff 
and they're all like med students that have been recommended it on on youtube really and then they've gone and looked at the rest of my youtube and like looked at other story streams and they're like what is this crazy guy up to <laughs> so that's a very weird thing about youtube that doesn't really apply to social is that people can discover your videos weirdly and then have a very direct portal into your other stuff, which is why it would be better to push those things on YouTube. They just don't seem to do as well as they do on social. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I mean, that is an interesting story because you actually told me that story again, like when we just started the broadcast, we were in, uh, to that's 2016, walk around Chicago. You're talking about how you got kicked out of med school. Like, <laughs> I think I think around that time, it was like official. Maybe, maybe it was yeah. way earlier yeah. than that. It, it was, it like was official. Yeah, I think it done. was only a couple of months before that. Yeah, it was only yeah. a couple of months previously that I'd been done. Yeah, because I'd, yeah, first tip of the hats was like, I was trying to go into Overwatch full time. I was just trying to crank out as many news articles as I could. I was, I was back living with my parents because I got kicked out of med school and run out of money because I was no longer being able to sustain living on my own. And then, uh, yeah, life was, life was kind of crazy. <laughs> Yeah, you were in a shed streaming, right? Yeah, yeah, I was in a shed streaming. Your computer broke because of like the yeah, because of the moisture or whatever. Yeah, yeah, those those damp nights. Oh my god! So, you know, how 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 long is the rest of this Overwatch League season? Like, when is when is the season over? Like, even the championships and all that. Uh, I think. Uh, oh, I think that's actually August, gonna be September. Yeah, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't really know, but anything. well, it's I don't know the exact dates anyway. Um, maybe I should, but I don't. <laughs> and I, but I think it's it's normally like the season finishes sometime in August, but then there's like a whole playoff thing that happens throughout September. Would be my guess, but that might be wrong. I'm so not after that, are you gonna be like going hardcore with your stream? Because again, like, um. When the Overwatch League season's over, you you're back in the UK, right? For well, no, no, no. I, I, well, I normally would stay in the US until my visa expires, which is at the end of the year, December. But I, oh, okay. But I like to go back for Christmas anyway. But that's what I did last year. Was I only went back in mid December just to see my family over Christmas. Uh, but the reason I didn't stream much in the off season was um, uh, last last year anyway. I didn't have a desk because I hadn't sorted out my living situation the entire time that I was there last year because I'm an idiot. Um, I hadn't bought a PC as well. So I didn't have a PC the entire time that I was in there until the off season and then bought a PC and decided that I would try and stream. But then also we, we went on a road trip that took up a bit of time. Um, I also, I, I was in a relationship for the first time in many years and decided to invest into that instead of uh, of streaming and then uh and then just w wanted to wanted to chill out rather than trying to build something because i knew i was going back over the christmas break anyway um so there was a bunch of different things that happened f for me not to really go that hard in the last off season but this time yeah i mean it, it just makes sense with the position that i'm in to try and uh just go really hard streaming so when you are away when your visa does expire, is it gonna? Do you think it's gonna be a lot harder to uh, keep up with the content creation? Because I imagine your content's gonna be like relatively similar to what it's been, just like a lot of different areas, like collabing with people that yeah. you're living with. Uh, but when you go back to the UK, like, is it gonna be a lot di more difficult? Or are you just gonna take a break? Or I'm not really sure. I haven't thought that far ahead, but the it's it's always weird when I'm back in the UK because the the PC that I have in the UK broke because i left it in the shed and so i think like moisture and dust and mud got inside the cpu and maybe the fan and so it now overheats and goes to like 100 percent capacity every time i open up a new chrome tab and so i i tried to play overwatch on it and i used to be able to get like 100 150 frames per second on overwatch i can now just about get a solid 30 uh, and sometimes it dips to below 20. so the the pc is properly cooked it's dead so <laughs> The, the only thing I can really do is stream myself, um, you know, like just a webcam stream like I was doing for watching the games and stuff. Um, or maybe I can do some like VOD review streams as well, but th there aren't that many games actually going on. Uh, so over the course of December, hopefully I'll only be back in the UK for mid-December to mid-January, and I'll be able to get, you know, I'll only have like a month away over, over Christmas, and I probably won't stream that much at all over that break, and I don't even know whether that's a very popular month for consuming content. I know, personally, I would not be watching too much Twitch over the Christmas break. I like to spend it with my family. We're pretty close. I enjoy the time that I spend over there, so 
Yeah, I, I don't think I would be doing anything like that. But having said that, my family actually started really enjoying getting involved in my stream. My brother and sister, my little brother and sister, are very, uh, they're the opposite of me when I was young. They love being on stage. They love attention. They're, they're like, they they were performing in, uh, in, a, in shows recently, one of which had like national acclaim, not as like cool. a children's show, but as like, a, like an adult show. They just had a, a child role on it. And they got the fever from that and they love doing it. And so my brother keeps wanting to be involved in my stream and loves Fortnite and watches actually some of my YouTube videos and stuff, which are not appropriate for him. So I have to sometimes censor myself and think about, oh, your brother's watching. <laughs> uh, um, and yeah, so they've actually started wanting to get more involved. Like my 16-year-old my sister was cutting my hair on stream and she'd never cut my hair before. And she just came up with this idea of like, I needed a haircut. And she was like, can I cut your hair? And I was like, actually, that could be banging stream content. And I was oh like, yeah, sure, why not? I remember that. Didn't didn't you get some of your hair on your face? Didn't, yeah, uh, yeah. Didn't you do so like a nice... Uh... In the process, she snipped my ear and, and screamed and my ear was bleeding, which I think is actually like TOS on, on Twitch <laughs> as well. I don't think you're allowed to like show... I don't know the streamer being harmed by just delete the vibe. You're okay. <laughs> yeah, and then um, and then yeah. She at the end of it, we had this idea to again turn it into more of an event. So we got a load of PVA glue, and she glued the hair that she'd cut off back onto my face to build me uh, like a, a handlebar mustache, a monobrow, and change my hairline so that I don't have this big forehead. Like my hairline started at a normal level. And I looked so different, unbelievably different. It was scarily oh God. realistic. Those are on well. Instagram, right? I've seen those. Yeah, I posted some on Instagram. They were floating around Twitter as well. Oh boy, those yeah, are pretty good. So, so for tip of the hats, I guess that's what, next time I'm going to see you. Yeah. What are, What are you guys going to do? What are we going to do? I don't know. I've been I looking no forward idea. to it for a long time because that's that's like my uh, collab creative outlet, at least like yeah. what you guys have on a day to day basis. Like it just it's just such a I don't know about how, how you guys feel like when you're away from it and then you come back to it. But it's just like there's like this energy, like everybody's like on the same page. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or at least like throwing ideas off of each other. Uh, I'm looking I'm looking forward to trying some stupid stuff with you yeah it, it's awesome i love tip of the hats because everybody comes into it with the same mindset let's create some cool awesome content and let's like brainstorm ideas come up with dumb stuff it's it's the it's a similar uh feel to if you were in a streamer house and you were trying to create events and stuff like that um it's it's the same kind of stuff that we do when we just bounce off a couple of people um who are streaming together uh when we're over here but but there's so many more people uh, coming from different facets of life that you get some awesome ideas cooked up and the production value is so much more than just your own stream so there's opportunity to do much more wild stuff i don't know we'll have to come up with some great ideas it was the first time that brenner had been involved with it last year and he loved it he thought it was fantastic it's like everybody that gets involved with it always wants to come back because the atmosphere mm -hmm. is so good yeah i can't wait for it and you know what I think we're kind of running out of time here so if you have any like things you want to uh, shout out or talk about real quick uh throw them at me that no one ever has shout outs dude shout back outs. in the day in yeah. like tf2 podcast there'd yeah. be like people just shouting out their entire team yeah. like they're looking through Sh their friends list shout out to ao girl <laughs> shout out to uh permzilla happy birthday to you shout out to uh the the eu crew at team fortress tv holding it down after, after all these years i i actually don't know what's going on yeah yeah neither do i I've i assume actually... it's still permzilla's birthday though yeah it, it always it, is i mean it's every day yeah. as i've learned from you guys but <laughs> yeah like i i've actually after tip of the hats i kind of separated myself from tf2 as well because and it kind of opens up i guess before we go we could just talk about how getting away from tf2 like affected you because for me yeah. it, it kind of just opened up my boundaries like i felt like i was kind of bounded in tf2 not not that tf2 is necessarily bad it's just i was restricting myself to one thing rather than yeah. opening the doors do you kind of feel the same way or was it just really easy for you to just move on? Well, uh, moving into Overwatch was fine. I was porting a lot of my skills and going into one thing. Uh, streaming now, though, is a little bit similar where the majority of my viewership would tune in for Overwatch. 
Um, and so, I mean, I feel like I'm still tied to a game rather than just being a, a variety streamer or a variety personality or something like that. I try and incorporate as much other stuff as I can to, to start moving away in that direction. But uh, I don't think it's necessarily something that was about TF2. I mean, TF2 is a very insular um, community and nobody really knew that much about other reasons. Nobody was taking that much uh, notice of what was happening with other games and, and learning what we might be able to do better based mm -hmm. on that. Uh, but, but yeah, I think when, when you're stuck, when you're not stuck, but when you have invested so much into any one game, you tend to, I mean, your audience is attached to it. Your ideas and models of thinking are attached to that game. You, you tend to spend most of your time thinking, streaming, talking about that game as well. So I don't uh, think that's necessarily a bad thing though, because it's, I, I see it more as like a base yeah. than a what it is, what you are. It's just something that you can always go back to and lean, yeah, and lean yeah. on while you try other things. Rather yeah. than like I was talking to Tag and he his struggles as being like a really hardcore variety streamer is that you don't really have a base. Like it's yeah. just all of it. So <laughs> um, I think the base, what I'm getting at is that having a base seems like a very good outlet to grow. And when yeah. you do the more variety stuff, it just shows more of you and your interests rather than this one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree with that. It's, um, it's, it's also much safer, I think, to have a base that you can continue to return to. And, and that'll, and, and I think it's, for a lot of games as well, they're fairly open to... Maybe that was the weird thing about TF2, actually, is that they really weren't that open to other games. The TF2 community is very much like TF2 or die. <laughs> and so, like, uh, streaming or going into other games is like betraying TF2 in some sense. Whereas most other games, I don't think... I think that's just like... It's like small man syndrome, right? It's like small, small community syndrome. You don't really want to... It's like you're flirting with the enemy every time you do something else. So the, the viewership... Even though people enjoyed watching me, even when I was in TF2, for you know, for personality, not just for TF2. Whenever I stream another game, the viewership would basically die. Whereas I can port more of the percentage of my viewers over from Overwatch into other games because they're yeah. not worried about me leaving Overwatch. Yeah, I'm glad that we touched on that because it's it's it is. I, th I like the small man syndrome because I a lot of people that I've talked to because pretty much all of my peers so far that has been on this uh, cast have all come from TF2 and there's always like a little bit of resentment towards TF2. Mm. I don't know about you. I don't know about Bren, but um, a lot of people that I've talked to just have a little bit of resentment. I think it just comes down to just like the small man syndrome, just like being accused of be betraying a community that you put a lot of time into mm. just really just doesn't sit well with at least me. Yeah. Um, and a lot of other people, like yeah. uh, Star, was, pro was probably like the prime example. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. he creates thousands of hours of content on uh, YouTube, and then he tries something new, and people think he's a traitor. It's just yeah. a very odd concept to me. It is a little odd. I I think the perhaps the way that I left, or the or the. I don't know. I n I never experienced that honestly. <laughs> I, I just like I don't get anybody now messaging me. Oh, come back to TF2 or something like that. I'd just yeah. be like, what, what are you talking about? Why, why would I do that? What <laughs> no. are you talking about? Um, so maybe it was because I didn't have that much like monetary success and people can always, uh, people are always more understanding of that. You know, like if you left to get a real job somebody, somewhere else, like I don't think uh, people were messaging Tyrone via I buy power telling him to come back to TF2 and, you know, start winning ESEA again. So uh, maybe it's just uh, people, um, People, if you're making YouTube content or streaming content, see it as not that much of a difference going from one game to another game. Whereas perhaps for me, where I was going into uh, writing or going into um, going into casting or something, it's more understandable for people in the TF2 community that I mean, those opportunities just didn't exist in TF2. So maybe maybe that's uh, the the number one thing that I get is like people being happy that I went somewhere and, that's and really, did something. Yeah. Which, I mean, uh, that's, so, yeah, that's I absolutely really get... how I feel. Like, it's it's astonishing to, like, you know, have a lot of friends that I, a lot of peers and just people I knew, even if it was just names. And now, like, a lot of them, including you and Bren and a lot of people from Two of the Hats are just, like, professional broadcasters yeah. now or even professional players. Yeah. A lot of people from the TF community are 
in the Overwatch League as like starting players for teams and yeah. getting paid salaries to play video games. And I think a lot of that shows how much talent was in the TF2 scene, not just in terms of the people that were like working behind the scenes uh, and the people that were involved in it. There was a lot of talented people there, and we always knew that. Like everybody knew that the community was really good, I, because the community was making such good things without almost any support. Like the the artwork for things, the marketing for things was always pretty cool. Uh, being able to develop lands and communicate with people with almost no experience, and mm -hmm. being able to just jump into stuff like the casting and analysis. When you look back on it now, okay, it was it was pretty scuffed the entire scene, but it was still awesome an awesome product to create from nothing. Uh, and a lot of the people involved with it, like the people from Tip of the Hats, all insanely Absolutely. talented. And the, the fact that you're able to put on that product every year is, is wild be because nobody was classically trained in a lot of these uh, production elements that, you know, before Tip of the Hats started. Um, it, it's just, yeah, I think it's, it's very wholesome to look back at TF2 and realize there was all of that talent just, just laid there waiting to, waiting to escape. Yeah, and I see Tip of the Hats as, like, despite us reducing Tip of the Hats, or, excuse me, reducing TF2 and Tip of the Hats over the years, it's still, like, a very, it will always be a core of Tip of the Hats, because that's where we all came from. That's where yeah. all of us developed our, like, starting beginner skills at what we do yeah. for a living nowadays. Yeah, that's pretty and I cool. think Tip of the Hats actually was the biggest thing to push production value or push, like, the, the idea of doing things outside of just lands. Because outside of Tip of the Hats, really the TF2 scene was just trying to cover online games and do LAN events. Um, but Tip of the Hats was uh, the first show that anyone had really done. Like it was, like it was genuinely, it was a, it was a show. It was a product. It was a, an event that was being put on that didn't just require the game to to exist. So that was, I think, the the beginning of people within the TF2 scene. May, maybe there were previous things that were before that, but for me, it seemed like the beginning of being of looking at things and being like okay if you put in the time and effort to to um to try and execute your ideas you can actually grow in directions that have a, a positive impact not just for the community obviously and like other people like tip of the hats does which is obviously such a uh a helpful yeah. event as well like but we, even if you had people had from that. the camp and yeah, yeah we are in direct contact yeah. with the owner of camp one step yeah. who is a fantastic person yeah Shout it's out crazy to Jeff. but um, even if that hadn't existed like just the concept of the product was inspiring to try and make it doing other stuff because you already had that kind of proof of concept that there were talented people within the tf2 scene that were able to make a name for themselves and actually make a product be successful um outside of the game itself yeah, and I'm not sure if that's really happened with, like, any other games, like any other grassroots games, maybe... Uh, well, actually, that's not true. A lot of fighting games have been more grassroots, and we've seen people yeah. grow from there, but I think that's the only other example, like, maybe Smash. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty cool. But, yeah, I don't want to let this run too long. I could talk to you all day, Sasha. It's been <laughs> a pleasure. It's You know, we haven't spoken since last Tip of the Hats, which was, what, October? I know, I know. It's It's too bad. It's, uh, we need to get you more involved with the dream. We oh, need yeah. To, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm down. I'm so down, especially yeah. since we were talking about it. It's like, it's really hard to yeah, be yeah. Yeah. online. But like, since I have a, a decent amount of free time, just throw me a message. I, oh, I'm down absolutely. to do some clowny stuff. Absolutely. That sounds good to me. <laughs> you can bend my, uh, bend my will a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. It's been, it's been a pleasure, Sideshow. I'm going to sign off. Thank you guys for listening. I'm really bad at outros. Sideshow, you got anything else to say? No, just, uh, just bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See ya. Bye. <laughs>